Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined by Alex Staniforth. Welcome, Alex. Hi, Amy. Great to be here. And you were introduced by Diana Theodoris. We were brought together by her, and I'm very grateful to introductions. And we had a conversation a while ago, and I'm very excited to sort of share your journey with everybody today. No, it's great to be here. And likewise, you know, thank you for having me on. I'm always interested in podcasts, but, but, but especially when have the opportunity to really um, take time and, and reflect on things myself and, and knowing why and my purpose has been a, a, an interest for, for a long time, I think um, is important for a lot of people. And when you say a long time, let's put that into sort of perspective <laughs> here. Well, yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm fairly fairly young in the motivational speaking world and perhaps in the adventure world. I mean, I'm uh, 25 now, so I'm still fairly early in, in my uh, career, but it feels like a long time by perspective. Um, but I guess the last few years, especially, I've been on a bit of a journey with um, with life and with my work and with adventures around reinventing myself. And I think knowing what my why was, knowing that actually that had changed and that's that discovery has sent me on a completely different path, really. And when you say you're reinventing yourself at the age of 25, how many times have you already reinvented yourself and why? Well, I think I'm learning that it's an ongoing process. You know, as a perfectionist, I've always wanted to have, you know, the statue finished before you pull off, you know, before you kind of pull off the curtain. But we realise it doesn't actually work that way. And that's a frustrating thing to accept. Um, but I think uh, there was... I guess there's two major shifts in my life. And if I should maybe go back to the, to the first and go from there, um, I had a pretty normal upbringing. I was brought up in Chester. Parents gave me a great start in life. And it was all pretty kind of normal until I was about nine years old. Um, I had epilepsy, which was only very mild, but shattered my confidence, my self-esteem. Along with that, um, I was relentlessly bullied throughout school. No confidence, no self-esteem, hopeless at sports. And the weird thing is, is I've had a stammer ever since I've been able to speak, which as a professional speaker is kind of unusual. But put all these things together, you know, school was challenging. And then I found the outdoors. And I guess to cut a, a long story short, I found a way to fight back. I really found what felt like myself and I found a way to overcome these life challenges by outdoor challenges. And that sent me on one path, which all geared towards reaching the summit of Everest. That was my idea of success as a, as a teenager. Um, and after two attempts on Everest, I then went off to another uh, peak in the Himalayas. And it was on that peak that after another failed attempt at reaching the summit, failure, you know, as you may see as an objective format. Um, I remember having this light bulb moment in my tent at 23,000 feet minus 23 degrees thinking why am I really here you know what am I really trying to achieve and am I ever going to be content just in reaching the top of the mountain 
you know, what's next? People always ask what's next. And I think we all get that, what's next? Um, and I thought, I realised then that this path that I'd been on actually wasn't really what it was about. It was about the journey to get there had actually given me so much and taught me so much more. And I think being able to share that journey, trying to help people to achieve their Everest became my new focus. And I'm still doing big challenges and, and, and big endurance things, not in the high mountains, but now I'm, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a speaker, but two books, I started a charity this year. Um, and that makes the whole journey a lot more rewarding and um, authentic. So I guess that's in a snapshot. That was four years ago. I had that moment and uh, I'm so grateful for that because it's helped me to find what was right for me. And describe exactly what that was. You were 23,000 feet up in a, a tent on a mountain and you had an epiphany. What, what does that look like or feel like or sound like to the, the audience? Well, I don't think it was actually specifically in that moment, but that's the, the last place I can kind of pin it back to was definitely during that expedition. Um, we were on, a, on the sixth highest peak in the world. And out of 12 people, I was only one of two who didn't reach the summit due to the altitude. I mean, I was 21, I think, at the time. So still very young to be on an expedition. And this was after two attempts on Everest in 2014 and 15, which I'd self-funded through corporate sponsorship when I was 18 and 19. And the first year, there was a big avalanche, which killed 16 people. The next year, we were stuck on stuck on the mountain when the earthquake hit Nepal. So two big disasters, really. And so it wasn't so much having this third failure because on, on Cho Are You, um, you know, I, I headed out for the top that night and I had to quite quickly turn around because of the altitude sickness. It wasn't so much about failure and giving up, but it was actually just this acceptance that I didn't need this mountain anymore. You know, this mountain had defined me for at the time, which was was quite a big proportion of my of my life. I didn't see anything else without that. Um, but actually not having to prove anything anymore, to be able in myself to accept that this isn't for me. And there's a careful balance because a lot of people could have life goals and then some setbacks happen and they just decide, oh, you know, it wasn't meant to be. But that for me feels a bit like an excuse this was different. I like to think it's different, that it was actually genuinely being willing to let go. And I remember on the way home from that expedition, I've been thinking about this. I got down unsuccessful. Everybody else in the team had summited and they looked absolutely broken because of the altitude, which you'd expect. But I almost felt a sense of relief. I was already starting to plan other challenges whilst I was at base camp. And another key part of that was there was... Uh, there was a British girl called Elise Downing who that summer was running around the coast of the UK and she was taking people with her. People were coming and joining her and and it was like the Pied Piper. And I thought, what could I do close to home instead? And what really sealed the deal for me was on the way home, just before we left, we, we could see Everest in the distance. And I remember there was just nothing there. The goosebumps that I'd had as a kid, just there was nothing and that, for me, was the sign that that was the right thing to do. And so was it founding the mental health charity what you were sort of destined to do instead? Not really, because that didn't start till two years later. Um, the year after that, 
I guess by this point, I was already doing a lot of speaking uh, to corporates and, and schools and charities around resilience and overcoming adversity. So that was going really well. I'd done my first book, Icefall, in 2016. And I already had a bit of a, a foundation around me at that point. Um, but doing the challenges is what really brings me alive and is is what kind of fuels the engine, so to speak. And the following year, I did a challenge in the UK, climbing to the highest points of all 100 UK counties, which involves cycling, walking and running and kayaking uh, 5,000 miles in about 72 days. And that was something very different. It had only really been done in a human-powered format once before. So it was the fastest time I was, that, that I was trying to do it in. Um, and that was fundraising for Young Minds, the mental health charity for young people, because alongside all of this, you know, I've had my peaks and troughs of, you know, of anxiety and depression and an eating disorder. And the lack of help available, you know, really, really struck me. Um, so this, this challenge is all about trying to fill that gap really, but on that, on that challenge, you know, it just, it blew my mind, you know, that people were able to come and be part of it and actually to create something much bigger than me climbing a mountain and then coming back down and then wanting something else. Um, so that really kind of reinforced this new direction, but I guess with fundraising, which I've done for various, you know, various causes, I kind of felt that I'd raised all this money and gone through all this pain um, and not really known or seen the difference it's made. I was invited to, uh, well, off the back of that challenge, I was invited to go and um, work with a, a company called uh, Adventure Uncovered. They were doing this impact event, trying to promote the power of the outdoors for mental health. So they wanted somebody that had that connection. So they asked me to kind of be an ambassador and naturally as a bit of a perfectionist, I, uh, kind of took over on the outdoor side wanted to make it as big as we possibly could and wanted to combine the holistic elements with with the hill walking so it wasn't just a weekend of fresh air which is all very good but doesn't tend to last so i brought in my coach and mentor chris who's an nlp coach he's got a diploma in counseling uh, a friend who was doing mindfulness some inspirational speakers and we created this weekend program yeah, so we we set up this, they had this event in 2018 and we were very inspired by the difference it made. So we wanted to um, make that into a bigger project to reach the people that really needed it. So myself and Chris set it up as a first as a CIC. And then we, um, then in this summer, we became an actual charity. So that's taken up more and more of my time, but really it's just another component um, alongside the speaking and the writing and the challenges. I, I kind of now very lucky to have all these different projects going on and, and they all tie together really well now. So I guess it's more that I don't need the high altitude mountains. You know, I've recently done um, my latest challenge on the National Free Peaks, uh, trying to run that and that raised a lot of money for the, you know, you know, for the charity. And now I'm, I'm speaking and writing about it. So I'm very lucky that that's where I am now. So your near-death experiences and your sort of reason to not have to prove anything anymore, what's with all the challenges? Critical question. I guess this all started, I say this connection with the outdoors started through the early adversity, you know, the low confidence, the hate in sports, the, you know, lack of self-belief and opportunity and, and this kind of victim mindset. And 
that first that moment changed when I was on holiday in Turkey when I was about 14 and I decided to try something called paragliding quite an extreme sport you know quite a big leap out of the comfort zone and I'd never been so scared in my life you know I don't know where that urge came from but that decision that that jump kind of changed it to a growth mindset actually taught me that very foundation of resilience that we don't always get to choose our challenges but we can choose how we respond and once I had that planted from then on I just wanted to keep on challenging myself and proving what else I could overcome and there was an element of proving the bullies wrong and proving myself wrong. And I guess the, the challenges gave me that confidence, that escape where it wasn't dependent on anybody else's opinion. It was just me versus the environment. And that was a great way to really prove my own limits and confidence. Um, and so I've always needed that. You know, once you've you've had that, it's a bit like an, an addiction. You kind of can't get the same hit anywhere else. Um, but then it's always been important to combine that with a cause and all my challenges were for a charity which gave another big just boost of achievement that sense of making a difference and all the feel good that comes with that um you know so it's not just for you and a kind of a selfish pursuit um but even without everest and and, and with not, uh, without needing that ultimate goal um i think i just love endurance i love those sort of times when i'm out on the edge and i'm having to find a way through and forge a path through adversity and i think that's when i really find myself and i didn't have a challenge for a couple of years and i just found there's something missing and it was that it was that new energy i find there's this new unexpected opportunities that come as a result of these challenges and as much as i'm passionate about speaking and sharing the story over time i just need that injection of new energy new stories and i just love the whole process you know the build up the planning the doing it um and and yeah i think even on a day-to-day -day basis as a runner as an athlete i just love challenge and that is what for me makes life worthwhile and would you have believed if if you'd just sort of gone back in time and told that nine-year-old that you absolutely love challenges in sport and running I don't think I could have seen it. I don't think any nine-year-old could, but uh, the only kind of thing I could have predicted is that I've never wanted to follow the conventional path. And I think because I was always different and I, like now I could never go and do a, a kind of a conventional thing because it just, it feels like I'm reversing what I've already done in terms of having the confidence to pursue my full potential. Um, I think it would feel like a waste. You know, I'm always wanting to do something different and and not let adversity stop me achieving my potential. And I think when you come this far, it's kind of very difficult to to get off that. Um, but no, even five years ago, I would never have imagined that actually be, you know, kind of a co-director of a charity and having done all these these recent challenges. Um, I didn't even see a life beyond Everest, which sounds very ridiculous for a teenager. Um, but I think the near-death thing on Everest really gave me perspective and put made help me realise what really matters, you know, as I think that would. And I think at a young age, I'm very grateful to have had that because I think it it changed the order of things a bit. Um and and yeah, it can be a, a driver, it can also be a bit risky um in terms of the belief systems that you get from something like that. And how do you want to change the order for others? 
Great question. I think one thing I've been aware of, and I'm maybe not in the position to comment or advise on, you know, on people that have got a lot, a lot more experience and life experience than I have is, is that people, you know, they, I think there's a lot of self-limiting beliefs, you know, and things that I had that I was able to confront through the outdoors. And I hear so many people, you know, saying, oh, I'd love to do that, but this, or I'd love to do that, or I want to do that, but life got in the way, and now I've got I've got a job and kids and career and all that, and that thing. Um, I'm lucky I've never had to deal with all that. It would make my life a lot. I wouldn't be able to have the freedom that I do now. But I do think we are the result of our own choices. And I feel quite sad for people that get to that point, maybe in later life, when that's when they make the drastic change, when they realise they're not happy or they're not fulfilling their potential. Um and the experiences I had helped me to steer myself towards it early on so that I never had to get to when I was, you know, in my 40s or 50s to say, actually, what am I really doing? Um, so I love people to be able to find their purpose. Their, their, the, and that's the authentic purpose, not what they're led to believe they should do by society around them as early as possible. Um, because I think that, that is what's allowed me to to just to really live life on my own terms and I would love people to feel able to live life on their terms as well um rather than getting to that point when I often get this you know or if I was younger I'd love to do that <laughs> if I was that and and I think really um I, I feel really disappointed when people are limited you know when they don't need to be it's incredible. And, and, you know, I really admire what you've achieved in such a short space of time. You mentioned earlier that you didn't feel you had the support going through sort of various difficulties yourself. And that that's why you wanted to support young minds. What is it you would like to see in terms of support? Well, I think by that specifically, I was meaning that it took me, you know, months and months to get an appointment on the NHS, just because there's not the funding of the the resources available for mental health, especially in younger people. Um, and secondly to that, there was a lack of understanding and awareness, especially of mental health and eating disorders in men. And as a man, well, you know, as a young man, it was incredibly difficult just to, to go and speak about it. You know, depression, I could talk about quite openly, but I think eating disorders, there is a, an ongoing stigma around that, especially as an athlete, where I think a lot of athletes are very prone to it. Um, and I think that's what delayed me from being able to go and get help sooner. So I think obviously resources and support, but also understanding um, in society. And I think the only way we can really make progress on that is more people normalizing it by sharing their stories. I think that's what inspired me to share mine. You know, I was inspired by um, by an elite marathoner who, you know, at a very, very high level, unlike me, he posted his story in the guardian you know about having an eating disorder and he had nothing but a positive response and i had exactly the same experience you know i only wish i'd, I'd spoken out sooner so i think if we can tackle that fear factor that would be a massive change um what really struck me as well was that it took me longer to to get that support on the nhs than it did to cycle five thousand miles around the uk now for me being active, being outdoors has been the most powerful tool that I found for managing my mental health, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis and building that resilience, that perspective, just that escape, you know, during lockdown, if I hadn't been able to run, God knows how I would have managed. 
And I really feel that regular time outdoors as a habit could intervene and prevent a lot of the problems we're seeing. And so this is where Mind Over Mountain started, is to try and give people the tools to maintain their well-being. And so I guess my third change and my focus now is trying to support as many people as we can through the charity. That's absolutely fantastic. And you talked about tackling the fear factor and you also talk about the sort of fear of failure. Were they different for you, those two elements? Hmm. Fear of fear of fear of failure is I think is endemic. You know, we are trained to succeed, but we aren't trained to fail. Um and until the disasters in Everest, I was naive enough to think that failure wasn't an option. You know, I've worked this hard, therefore I cannot fail. But the mountain doesn't work like that, and COVID doesn't work like that. And sometimes failure, as we see, it, is inevitable. But actually, if we can focus on the process and how we bounce back, then actually that's what helped me to break that fear of failure. I think if we can redefine that for people, they wouldn't be so afraid of failure if they could pick themselves back up. I think that's. I think though, failure is just one fear. You know, we all have different different fears, and I think fear of failure is at the root of a lot of them you know, uncertainty, for example. But I think the fear factor is also, it all. It, I think it all stems back to that in some way or another. But for example, the fear about talking about, you know, my mental health struggles was that sense of, it was a sense of the unknown, that sense of what are people going to say, how they're going to react, what is that going to mean to me? Am I going to create something that I can't unsay? Whereas you might get something like fear of heights or fear of public speaking, you know, which is the most common uh, fear uh, in Americans and I think those things are all when you know they're, they're all designed to protect us but in our modern world sometimes they're all a bit out, out of kilter so I think they are different but I think fear of failure tends to tie into a lot of them. And when you talk about mind over mountain what does that sort of obviously it's a great image that is conjured up but what does it really mean to you? Well that's the name of the charity and to be honest um when I came up with the name, and I'm not very good at names, so I'm quite sure for that one. Um, it, it just did exactly what we were trying to do. It's giving people the tools in their, you know, in their minds to overcome those mountains, whether that's the mountains of mental health or the mountains of that we face on a daily basis. You know, it could be a job loss, it could be an illness, it could just be the unexpected things like COVID. Um, and Mind over matter, you know, it's, it was a kind of a play on that. And some people do get us mixed up and call us mind over matter. And, you know, that's that's not exactly, um, that's quite, quite kind of shows the, uh, the you, know, the, you know, the power of the words. Um, but I think it comes down to the idea that we have the ability in us to overcome those challenges. And uh, mind, obviously, linking to mental health, but a lot of our limits are purely in our heads. Um, and how we think about them and I think together we can find a way to overcome them and you said earlier that you know everything is a result of our own choices which is you know incredibly true that we all have choices when did you feel you started to have those choices definitely when I had the out when I found the outdoors um after that paragliding flight I wanted to keep on doing more and more outdoor things I found this passion that I'd never had and just this realization that was, you know, it was steady. Obviously I was doing challenges and growing and growing and growing and going higher and higher. And then eventually obviously getting experience and then going out, you know, the Himalayas. Um, it was progressive, but ultimately realizing that I had 
a choice of how I responded. And I could let adversity define me or I could use it to, to motivate me and change all these beliefs that I had. Um, and that kind of, once you get that, it, it, it carries into everyday life. And for example, in the start of lockdown early in the year, you know, I, I sat down and thought, okay, I can't control most of this that's going on. It's a pretty horrible situation, but what can I do? And what can I do to make a difference in this time? And I think ultimately um, we all make bad choices. You know, I have my days when I just get fed up and I want to have a whinge, but ultimately the sooner we can choose to, to, to do something positive in our control, I think the sooner we can move forward. And what's next on the horizon for you, Alex? Well, um, obviously we've been in an interesting year and in August I completed my free peaks challenge, which was, which is all fundraised actually for the charity mine of mountains. And that involved running, obviously Ben Nevis, Scarfell Pike and Snowden, but running the entire distance between them in nine and a half days, uh, which is about 450 miles. So my body's still not quite back to, back to normal yet. Um, so I'm, I'm slowly getting back in the hills and back into, into sports and training. And I'm very grateful for that, especially during the, you know, during this kind of, you know, the kind of cold and dark nights, but with the charity, we are planning our strategy for next year. We're, you know, we're planning to do a lot more programs. Obviously, COVID is making that challenging, but we're trying to adapt and find a way around that to support people. And like many speakers and anybody working in the coaching world, um, most of my work is now virtual, at least until next spring. So that's been a big, um, a big pivot, if I dare say the word. And I'm doing a lot of speaking virtually and, um, you know, I'm grateful to have that and uh, enjoying learning about that, that way of things as well. Um, and then I've got a third book slowly in the process uh, when I can find the time. And I think I'm just looking forward to, to next year and when we have a bit more certainty coming back with another daft challenge whenever I feel like I need it. And the books, how does that help sort of deliver your message in terms of who are your audience, who are you writing for? Yeah, it was kind of planned, but not in the way it happened, like most of these things. I think with my stammer as a as a young kid, I, you know, it it kind of came and went, you know, and I, I found ways of avoiding it, but never really dealt with it. And because of that, I was always really into writing because I, I could I could express myself in the way I really wanted to be expressed, rather than being held back by my stammer and. And so I was always writing from a young age and I'd always wanted to obviously publish a book. I think most of us want to have a book at some point. And the original plan was that I would write a book after climbing Everest. But then after the two disasters, actually, my publisher, who I'd, I'd been able to sign before I went, basically said, actually, we were going to shelve the book, but this is quite a unique story now. We'll, we'll still do it. Because um, I'm essentially writing about the two biggest consecutive disasters in Everest history. And so that book became a, a bit of a tonic, really, after the avalanche to kind of process that kind of trauma. And that was all about the Everest journey. And I think alongside the speaking, you know, when it, when, when people want to read more, they can, they can obviously read the book or vice versa. People have read the book and said, we come and speak to our, you know, speak to our team. Even now I get emails and messages from people I don't even know saying, I've just read your book. It's inspired me to do this. It inspired me to do that. And uh Anybody that's had a dream and, and lost it, I think, has been inspired to, to carry on and, and try again. And that was just a fantastic process that I really enjoyed. It's not, 
a massive amount of my career you know writing writing takes up a lot of time and it's difficult to to write alone but it ties in really well to you know the speaking and everything else and I think I just love being able to keep those experiences and things I've learned alive and put them in a format that any, anybody can can pick them up and read them with my second book that was more on the on the challenge in 2017 that kind of rebuilding process and more about the the mental health struggles you know I really put everything in there it's a very honest and quite an emotional book uh, another peak is just is exploring that relationship really between the outdoors and mental health and uh, and yeah it just feels the right thing to do and I really enjoy putting it all into words and then my third one will be everything I've learned since wow it's incredible and it's, it's such a great sort of legacy to be leaving behind um, and I've, when I say leaving behind you when you barely just started I feel that there's so much more to to come as well which is going to be excellent and it described the mission for you for the next sort of five years mission well I come back to this quite often um and uh and I think it's what you just mentioned then about you know trying to leave something behind actually the the other question that came to me on that mountain in that tent was had I been in that tent at base camp the year before you know, had we not left that base camp, we probably wouldn't have made it because our tents were buried under a foot of ice and rock and we had a pretty miraculous escape. Um, it was asking myself, had I been in that tent, what would I have left behind? And obviously quite young to be having a, had a, a question like that, but ultimately that was what spurred me on to do these challenges close to home and start the charity. And I think really my mission is, is not only about you know achieving my own potential, living life on my own terms, but also leaving something bigger behind, something that lasts much longer than me. And that, for me, is what that's my vision. And my mission, which is, needs to be a bit more measurable, I think, really, is just trying to, you know, trying to inspire people to achieve their Everest, to you know embrace uncertainty, and not to settle for base camp. You know, too many people are settling for for the ordinary average and the expected. And um, I want to help them to to break free from that and, you know, achieve their own Everest, whatever that may be. Well, seek the, the find the extraordinary is, is certainly coming through in your messaging. It's, it's fantastic. And I can see how you inspire many people to retrieve the lost dreams, as you said. You know, that that's just, you know, so admirable. It's fantastic. So how would people get in touch with you, Alex? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'd love to hear from anybody and always happy to, you know, answer any questions or try and you know, offer any advice. So the best way is um, if you go to head to my website, which is just alexstanleyforth.com, you can find all the, all the links to my social media, my email and my books on there and the charity. Um, or email me, you know, alex alexstanleyforth.com. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere pretty much. So I'd love to hear from anybody. And uh you can find out about the charity, uh, mindovermountains.org.uk. Well, I'll make sure all of those links that go into the show notes so that people can easily access them. Have you got a final few words for the audience, please, Alex? Oh, wow. Well, this is always a challenge. Um, I'll have to grab one of my books. <laughs> um, I think it really is, and at the moment, it's about, you know, to to focus on what we can control, at the moment, there's so much going on that we can't control. And I think we're only going to become reactive and hopeless. But actually, it's about 
thinking, right, what's going on in the moment? What can we do? How can I use my skills to make a difference and to have something that I'm going to be proud of when I look back? So I think it's just to, it's just, yeah, just focus on what you can control, uh, however big or small that may be. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrollinson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.